Good morning. I am Evan Smith. I'm the editor-in-chief and CEO of the Texas Tribune. Welcome to Politics Church here on Sunday morning. I'm certainly worshiping before all of you, this wonderful audience, this great content. I really appreciate you being here. So here we are on the last day of the 2013 Texas Tribune Festival. Let me pander for a second. How much have you enjoyed this weekend so far? I want to tell you that we're overwhelmed by the response to, to, this, uh, to this event this time. Uh, as I said a couple times this weekend, we are 50% ahead of the attendance of last year. Uh, we have built over these three years what we think is a pretty fun event where people in the state can, can really plug into the big issues that affect all of us, and, and you all are right here and, and participating, and that just gratifies us enormously. And we thank you enormously for for giving us your time this weekend, and we hope that you got as much out of it as we did, for sure. We are here, uh, a little housekeeping before we bring our panelists out, we are here on the University of Texas at Austin campus for the third consecutive year, thanks to the generosity of President Bill Powers, everybody in his office, the University of Texas at Austin staff. This is a magnificent campus, and the venues on this campus are so perfect for this festival. Even though we have strained to get everybody into our programs, we want to be on this campus every year, and we thank the University of Texas at Austin for their generosity in hosting us. The other presenting sponsors uh, of this festival need to be acknowledged. Uh, uh, One is uh, Texas Natural Gas Now. They have been the leading uh, sponsor of this festival now, three years running, incredibly generous. They uh, dedicate a lot of time and energy and dollars to make it possible for this festival to happen. They could be spending their money on any number of other good causes, but they have chosen to stand with us and to stand with you. Let us please acknowledge Texas Natural Gas Now. And then finally, uh, you know, you don't necessarily want to see the sausage being made, but I'll tell you that the South by Southwest team from top to bottom works very hard on this event. This is not their event. This is our event, but they're our partner. They make everything go so smoothly. They make it work so well, and it's easy to take that for granted. It's easy for us to take it for granted, but they are a magnificent partner, so good at what they do. Please acknowledge the South by Southwest team for all they do. I have to now go through the quick list, it's not that quick, but I hope it'll be quick, of our sponsors at the festival this year, uh, because they have contributed at various levels very generously to the Tribune. It'll be a little bit like the agate type at the end of a pharmaceutical ad. I'm going to try to read it quickly, and hopefully uh, uh, you'll be able to acknowledge them. Save your applause at the end, we'll give them a big hand. Our other sponsors at the festival this year, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, The Nature Conservancy, Educate Texas, University of Texas Press. J.P. Morgan Chase, the Medill School at Northwestern University, Via Novo, HEB, the Texas A&M University System, Greater Texas Water Company, the RK Group, Lockheed Martin, H&K Strategies, the AT&T Executive Education and Conference Center, the official hotel of the festival, the Center for Politics and Governance at the LBJ School of Public Affairs at UT Austin, AARP, Perry Street Communications, Doctors Hospital at Renaissance, the Association of Texas Professional Educators, AT&T, Texas Enterprise and the Macomb School of Business, Deloitte, Moniker Guitars, the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, Southwest Airlines, Schweike Media, Suzanne Deal Booth and David G. Booth, AAA Texas, the Executive Master's Program at the LBJ School, WGU Texas, Power Across Texas, Plains Capital Bank, First Southwest, Prime Lending, Methodist Healthcare Ministries, 
Raise Your Hand Texas, the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, the Lumina Foundation, Google Fiber, Freedom Works, the Annette Strout Institute for Civic Life, the University Co-op, the Ex-Students Association at UT, Harmony Public Schools, and Red Curve Solutions. Give them all a hand for their generous support of this festival. Let me also acknowledge our media, our media partners, the New York Times, KUT, KLRU, Houston Public Media, Texas Monthly, Culture Map, KXAN, and Univision, very generously contributing as well as our media partners. And all of you who are members of the Tribune, thank you so much for standing with us at the beginning when this event and the Tribune was much smaller. We've grown, you've stayed with us, we've added new members. If you've not become a member of the Tribune, if this is politics, church, pass the collection plate. We would love to have you become a member. And today and always, you can text a gift. If you like what you saw this weekend, if you like what you see today, take out your phone, send a text message to 41444. In the message, type the word Tribune, space, and an amount. I suggest (laughs) $10,000. But any amount you put in, it all pays for the journalism we produce. It pays for the sets of data, uh, data that we put out in the world, and it pays for events like this. We are all stakeholders in Texas, and we're all stakeholders in the Texas Tribune. And so if you want to become a member, we would love to have you. Turn your phones completely off if you don't intend to tweet this event out of respect for our panelists and our production. If you don't turn your phones completely off, then at least turn them to silent. And if you tweet, use the hashtag Trib... No, TribuneFest. Use the hashtag TribuneFest. Pardon me, I'm used to saying TribLive. Oh, use whichever hashtag you want. Uh, And the panelists' Twitter names are in the program. And please, if you would, when you tweet, use their Twitter names as well. We're going to have a 60-minute event right now, the first half of our closing session, 40 minutes of conversation from the stage, 20 minutes of questions from the audience. You'll line up on either side behind the microphones, and we'll take as many questions as we can. Okay. So, to set up our panel before we bring our panelists out, Friday night, many of you were here, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz was the opening keynote conversation of the 2013 Texas Tribune Festival. One bookend, maybe the right word most bookend, in Texas politics today. All along, we intended for Sunday to feature the other bookend, the one at the opposite end of the spectrum, and we don't intend to disappoint. In fact, we're presenting the bookend in two parts. Part two comes later this morning when the likely Democratic nominee for governor in 2014, Wendy Davis, joins me here on stage. I say... I say likely... I say likely because she won't announce her plans for the next election cycle, as you know, until Thursday, though I may do one of these blink once for yes, twice for no things. (laughs) So to see how that goes over. Part one happens now, and it's on the broader topic of how Democrats can get back in the game in Texas, in the popular parlance of our day, what it will take to turn Texas blue, and how quickly. No Democrat's been elected statewide in Texas since 1994, and Republicans enjoy a near supermajority in both the Texas House and Senate. Our elections are rarely even competitive anymore, and what little action there is is in March, not November. But there are people trying to change that. What it will take is some combination of elements that have been in short supply for Democrats of late, turnout, organization, money, candidates, and issues. And we'll talk about all those things with our panelists today. In fact, joining me to discuss this very hot topic are three battle-scarred veterans of political wars here and elsewhere. 
Jeremy Byrd is a senior advisor to Battleground, Texas, the nine-month-old effort to return the state to to democratic control by identifying and mobilizing progressive voters. He's also a founding partner at 270 Strategies, a consulting firm that deploys grassroots organizing techniques on behalf of campaigns and organizations. In the 2012 election cycle, he served as national field director for Barack Obama's successful re-election effort. Letitia Vandepute, Democrat of San Antonio, has represented Senate District 26. Has represented Senate District 26 since 1999. She previously served five terms in the Texas House. In the 83rd session, she chaired the Veterans Affairs and Military Installations Committee, served on the Business and Commerce, State Affairs, and Education Committees. Following the 2013 regular session, she was named the Texas Monthly's list of the 10 best legislators. Bill White served three terms as mayor of Houston. From from 2004 to 2010, before running unsuccessfully as the Democratic nominee for Texas governor. In the Clinton administration, he was a deputy secretary in the U.S. Department of Energy, and he previously ran an energy company. He is currently chairman of Lazard Houston, leading the global investment firm's Texas-based energy practice. A program note. We were supposed to have Congressman Pete Gallego, Democrat of San Antonio, on this panel as well, but you've surely seen the news of the week, the ongoing fight over the federal budget, and the timing of a vote to avoid a government shutdown made it impossible for him to leave Washington, D.C. to be here. We'll miss him, but we're so happy to have our three distinguished panelists. Please join me in welcoming Jeremy Byrd, the Honorable Letitia Vandepute, and the Honorable Bill White. Thank you. Good to see you. Put me right there. Thank you, Senator. Mayor, thank you so much for putting me right on there. So happy to be with the three of you. Thank you for being here. Mr. Bird, you are the most visible emblem, although you're not necessarily in Texas a lot of the time. You are the most visible emblem of this effort, this battleground Texas uh, effort to, uh, to bring the state back to, uh, to democratic control, as I said. Uh, how's it going? Nine months in. What meaningful progress, measurable progress, can you point to for those nine months? Yeah. Well, thanks for having us today, and thanks for all of you for being here so early on a Sunday. Um, so for those of you who know about Battleground Texas, I'll just give a quick background. Sure. Um, the goal is to make Texas a competitive state, to make it a battleground state. In order to do that, uh, we believe we need to treat it like a battleground state. Yeah. And so over the last nine months, what we've done is a couple of things. Number one is um, <clears throat> built a staff, um, an incredibly talented staff, battleground level uh, staff in this, in this state. Um, Jen Brown, who's our executive director, is leading the effort. She's put together a team of organizers who are starting to crisscross across the state in order to get out there and build the infrastructure that we need to make this a battleground state. So number one, we've been able to attract the kind of talent that we need at the staff level. And 80% of our staffers are from Texas and some of the best people I've ever worked with. The second thing is we need to build a volunteer base across the state of folks that are willing to do the hard work it takes to win elections. And that's about registering voters, going out and knocking on doors, getting deputized to become a voter registrant. means going out and talking to folks who are already registered and turning them into habitual voters. And we've seen great uh, progress on that front. As as you know, the the laws are difficult in Texas to become a voter registrant. You have to go to your county, you have to get trained, uh, and then you get a card, and you have to bring that card with you. We've trained over 3,000 folks already in, in just a few months to go out and do that work, and they've started to register voters. They've started to learn what works. Uh, the last, the, one of the other pieces is, um, you know, we have to make sure that we are uh, building the, the data and technology infrastructure across the state. 
If you go to a battleground state like Florida, Ohio, Colorado, where they've been working elections for several cycles and they've been very competitive, the voter file infrastructure, what we know about um, uh, voters, who they vote for, who's registered, who's not registered, how to, get to, how to talk to them, that infrastructure needs to be put back in place, and we've you're, already begun that You're process. talking about, Mr. Burr, you're talking about the e- efforts that were deployed similarly on the behalf of the Obama campaign, your experience to identify the people who need to, to be turned out to vote and then ultimately to, to, to turn them out. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah I mean, it's not, and it's not just the Obama campaign. I mean, we're talking about if you're, if you're in a battleground state that has been contested and is contested every yeah. single election cycle all up and down the ticket, it's not just the presidential level. It's statewide elections where you've had volunteers and every single cycle you're working and you leave it, even if you come up short in some of these states, you're leaving it in a better place for the long right. term. And that's what we've seen in other states and that's what we're starting to build here. And we've seen incredible success. We've built a donor base of you know, over 4,000 individuals who are giving to Battleground Texas in order for, to bu- put that infrastructure in place. So we're excited about the staff we've been able to bring. We're excited about the volunteers that we're engaging. We're excited about the donors that we're engaging. Right. And we're excited about changing uh, the, the conversation in Texas and nationally about, uh, about the future and what we can do here. Now, Senator Vandepute, it sounds good. And, you know, Mr. Byrd and his team are very energetic and they mean well and, and they're going to work as hard as they can to pull this off. But as you very well know, having been in this world at the ground level for a long time, the numbers for Democrats are challenging. If it were that easy, and he's not suggesting it is easy, but if it were that easy, it would have happened, right? Well, winning elections is, is tough, and particularly for Democrats yeah. uh, the last uh, decade. But I think that there is a tremendous combination and a set of circumstances which puts us on a much stronger foothold to win some this cycle and more each cycle. Something different than has been the case in the past. That's correct. I think many people think, well, it's the demographics. It's the growing Latino and minority population. Certainly that will help, but that's not all. Democrats have not had the resources to get out that message, to do the sort of things that Jeremy has been doing with Battleground Texas. I mean, we have been a donor state. We are the ATM for right. national politics. Other Democrats come here, take That's money correct. of good Democrats, and well, then leave. And when resources play such a critical part, a million dollars can absolutely make a difference in a U.S. Senate race in Alaska. In Texas? That's about a week of paid media, right? Exactly. Yeah. But Democrats are going to have to work for it. They are not only going to have to be organized, but the issues that they stand for are really about the issues of middle-class families and opportunities. And so I don't believe for a word that if we're just going to sit back and wait for the demographics to come, that we're going to be successful. Democrats are going to have to work hard for it. And I think that there's an exciting uh, continuum of the work that's going to be done, exciting candidates, yeah. and certainly uh, the, the... I think the Republicans are helping us a great deal. How are the I, I realize this is going to be a little bit like slow pitch softball, but how, Senator, are the Republicans helping you? Um, thank you. Uh, you know, the, uh, because they have not had a competitive uh, general election, right. their action has been in that primary, and it is who can go the furthest to the right. And we're seeing that, and we're going to see that in several of our races. And so when they disrespect and disenfranchise women because of the equal pay or because of health care, when they callously make very insensitive and toxic remarks 
about Latinos and immigration. When they uh, alienate uh, our gay and lesbian community, uh, let me tell you, voters really take notice of that. We saw that this summer. We're going to continue to, and it is going to be a, a very wonderful thing to have actually a debate and a dialogue. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take work, and we just are not going to have to sit back and say, well, we're going to wait for the demographics. But the Republicans, I think, are helping us in a, a great way because they are alienating middle-class families. We're making inroads with suburban women. We're making inroads with small business folks. And now with business leaders, tremendous business leaders who understand that what's happened in the Republican Party is they all come to this they heed this the, the shriek of that like dog whistle tea party stuff that's going on. And and that isn't helpful for them in a general election when you've got to have the funds and the type of strategies to do water infrastructure, to do road infrastructure. And they're they're not there. Uh, Mr. Mayor, you talked about these very issues. What I'm hearing Senator Vanderpute say, I heard you say repeatedly on the campaign trail. You were well funded. You are politically acceptable to many of the same business leaders that Senator Vandepute is, is talking about. Uh, you are going to be the most competitive candidate for governor in years. Many of the same dog whistles that the senator is talking about were audible at that time, and yet couldn't bring the ball over the line, couldn't even get in the red zone. So what's changed in four years? What did you learn then, and how have things changed now so that maybe what the senator is talking about could, could conceivably happen? Well, uh, obviously, what happened, almost every pollster saw it, yeah. uh, was that uh, Perry and the gang of people who you know, are perennial office holders in the Republican Party at state level tried, converted it into a national election. There right. was a backlash against the administration. Many independent voters thought that the administration embraced government faster than they thought it would or yeah. had a stereotype of uh, uh, fulfilled the stereotype that some people had of Democrats. So you saw this backlash against the administration and independent voters wanting to send Democrats a message. Right. But because of what the senator said, I think you're going to see a lot of those people, too, right now, wanting to send the Republican Party uh, a message. There's so many Republicans who tell me, I see them every day on the street in the town I work, uh, that, boy, did they make a mistake in the last election in light of... Perry's debate performance, I guess you could say. The last election being 2010. Yeah, 2010, yeah. The, uh, the, the inertia we have in our state right. on education and transportation, and now the showboating that's going on in, in D.C. So I think there's uh, what was a bit of an anchor for many sort of mainstream right. Democrats in Texas, uh, uh, some you know, low favorable ratings and and bad view of the national scene, I think right now that's going to be an anchor for the Republican Party. Let, let me flip that around, Mayor, and agree with you that uh, a nationalized election can be bad for Democrats at certain points. You seem to think that if the election is nationalized next time, it will be bad for Republicans. Why won't this very conservative state with this very conservative electorate, the numbers would bear out that it is yeah, a conservative yeah. state, why will they not react to the president this time the way they react to the president last time? No, Why I, they not no, react I, to Democrats this time. I, 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 I agree. I agree with you. And I, I think they will try to nationalize it because they don't have much of a record to run on. Really, when yeah. I mean they will, t and because there is this, you know, the president still is not sixty percent in the polls. I don't think. All I'm saying is it won't be as potent as it was when we saw 
such a, and we saw it throughout the nation, not just Texas, right. uh, where such a backlash. Moreover, I think the conclusion one draws from that is that our candidates for state office should remind voters what state government does and what they should expect of state government. I found on the campaign trail, people, people on the campaign trail I mean, across the political spectrum, thought it was ridiculous, unacceptable, that we don't do a better job of, of teaching career education so that people have skills. We've, we've dropped vocational education in the Greece. Textbooks in junior colleges cost $300 a textbook. That's not right. That's not Texas. And people are stuck in traffic all over the state uh, because the state has not invested in the infrastructure. That's not a Republican issue, a Democratic issue, independent issue. That's a Texas issue. Do voters hear that stuff and think this is a motivation to vote? You know, my, my colleague Ross Ramsey says all the time, anger is a greater motivator than joy at election time. And the fact is, you'd like to believe that you could marshal people's anger on that stuff, but it can be hard. You know, it can be hard to get people to say, I'm going to change horses because of traffic. Or I'm going to change horses because of the cost of textbooks. Blasphemy to talk about substance in a campaign. I know that you, you know, we want to, but Mr. Byrd, this, it's not as, as, as simple as, as ticking off the bill of particulars that the, that the mayor is talking about. Well, there's, there's a couple of things. So uh, when the mayor ran, we lost by 631,000 votes. 631,000 votes. There were a little over 13 million registered voters, and we had less than 5 million turnout. Right. So when you talk about the state, there's a bunch of different things we have to do to win. Number one is, those were 13 million registered voters. There are a whole uh, group of other voters who are not, not even registered, registered yet. And those voters who are not registered look and will vote much more like the Democratic Party in Texas than, than otherwise. So that's one piece, is voter registration. And I'll come back to that. And, okay, great. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Um, so that's, that's one piece. The other piece is the, the folks who aren't turning out to vote. Um, we've got to go out. There are, our turnout numbers are 51st in the nation in Texas. 51st. Right. The, the election in which Mayor White lost, 2010, 2010, we were dead last among the 50 states in D.C. About 32, is it 32%? Yes. About 32% yes. turnout, dead last. Dead last. Right. So that, th- those are two huge pieces of the puzzle. And then the last one is, is persuasion. It is talking to folks who are voting. And you look at the poll, and you particularly look at where we've been since 2010 with suburban women in Texas. And you've seen the polling on this, um, you know, Jim's polling. You know, in, in 2010, suburban women in Texas were, were identifying with the Republican Party about 50%. Those numbers have dropped every single year since. And the identification with the Democratic Party has gone up. Why? Because of the extremism within the Republican Party. There are fair-minded Republicans... And, and, and practical independents in the state who do not like what they're seeing with a Republican Party that continues to trend far to the right and is represented by, by folks like Senator Cruz. So we have to do all three things. We have to register folks who are currently not registered. We have to turn folks out who are registered who aren't turning out to vote. And we've got to do persuasion work. We've got to talk to voters in the suburbs and the rural areas. All three of those things, that's how we get 631,000. But we, Mr. Bird, I hear you, and the numbers certainly would suggest opportunity, upside. But at the same time, we've been hearing for years about getting people who are, not el- who are eligible but not registered to register, people who are registered but not voting to vote. So I said, anything, I remember talking to Tony Sanchez about this right before the 2002 governor's race, and he showed me all these maps in his office of counties in which, in his case specifically, the Latino vote, uh, eligible to vote, to vote but non-registered, registered but non-voting in previous elections. It was all low-hanging fruit, he said. And if we only got a small percentage of those folks to turn out, there was no way he told me mathematically that Rick Perry could get elected. They're called unlikely voters for a reason. People don't just turn out if you close your eyes and squint real hard and, and, and hope that it, it happens. 
And so, Mr. Bird, I, I hear your plans for a turnout, and I don't dispute your math, but actually executing upon this is quite a bit harder than, than thinking you want to. Yeah, well, just look at one poll. After the 2012 elections, Hispanics in Colorado, a poll, how many campaigns talked to you face-to-face, -face, came to your door, you know, talked to you on the phone, engaged you in the democratic process? Polls around 70% of Hispanics in Colorado were reached out to and, and, and educated and brought into the political process from an organizer going to their house, going to their community events, engaging them in the process. That number is in the 20, 20s in Texas, same poll. Right. The, the pro there's, two, there's two problems. One, Republican Party in Texas, uh, with Greg Abbott as the leader on this stuff, has done everything they can to put institutional barriers in place for voting. We have to break those institutional barriers down. The second thing we have to do, though, is we have to go out and run a 254-county program on the ground doing the hard work it takes to put a registration form in front of every single voter to talk about the choices, to do that work. We haven't done that to the scale we need to do that. Yeah. We've seen it done in other states. Florida is a massive state. We've seen it done there where you get, where you get turnout numbers in the Hispanic registration community in Florida in 2012 that are in the high 60s, low 70s. We can do that in Texas. We have to put the resources on the ground, and we have to do all the hard work, and it has to be a long-term approach, not just about the next two years, but about the long-term future. We can do that. We've done it in other states, and we can do that with good candidates, organizers on the ground, and a lot of money put into it. Senator Vanderpeet, I, I want to read you a quote from Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst, said yesterday on this stage at, at the festival, and asked you about what Mr. Byrd is saying. Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst said the following yesterday. Elections are decided by who turns out, and increasingly we're seeing fewer and fewer people turn out for our elections. So if the Democrats get all of their base turned out, and our base is complacent, we could have a problem. This was Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst yesterday talking about the prospect of Texas uh, uh, turning blue. So he, I think he agrees with Mr. Byrd that it is about turnout, turnout, turnout. But you, again, you know... Saying you need better turnout is one thing, executing upon it is another, and particularly in the Latino community where turnout as a percentage of the eligible to vote population has lagged behind other groups historically. I think what uh, Dewhurst was saying was that Houston, we have a problem. And certainly, Governor Dewhurst, when he, I mean, he's a lieutenant governor, and when he thinks that universal health care is walking into an emergency room, that is a huge disconnect with everyday families. And it is that constant disconnect that we're hearing. So, yes, I think we're going to be more competitive, but it's because there is a crescendo of a lot of variables that are coming into play. Better organization, resources. After Thursday, I think a great candidate. And when South Texas doesn't turn out, they are not engaged. Yeah. Start tearing up their roads and make them into gravel. What is happening now under this leadership because we haven't invested in the roads. Start talking to suburban moms who are really upset because their children's seventh grade program that is absolutely wonderful in the arts has been cut off because the legislature cut four billion from the schools. And not only that, but the legislative members did that, went back home and bragged. They bragged about how much they cut public schools. You're going to see those populations. And that didn't happen when Tony Sanchez was running. That wasn't a variable when Bill Hoyt was running. And we had candidates who were passionate. Tony Sanchez, well-funded. 
we've had policy wonks. We've had charismatic. She meant that as a compliment. Yes, I do. I take it there. I do. In this room, that's a compliment. <laughs> because let's face it, we haven't had leaders that are uh, that that understand policy. I mean, they're they're not policy wonks. But I think that in the future, we will have for the first time a candidate who has all of those components in one and a motivated base. And a motivated base. Uh, Mr. Mayor, another uh, crucial element uh, here is organization. Yes. No Democrat, as I said, is one statewide since 1994. A generation of people in the business of organizing successful campaigns has kind of come and gone. No one really in the business now at a, a, a low level has really even seen a winning Democratic campaign. So how do, you, how do you go back to the days when Democrats were successful and come up with an organization of people who actually know what they're doing? What do you do? Well, you know, uh, I learned political organization, as Leticia knows, from a guy named Willie Velasquez when I was a teenager. That's how I started out in yeah. politics, going door to door, doing voter registration drives and then voter turnout. And, you know, I may not have been a veteran when I was 16 years old, but so long as I was willing to work and go door to door and yeah. talk to people about where they were, where, you know, doing it as a volunteer, so you need less veterans and people who take responsibility, who want, who want to be invested in the future of our state. So experience is not everything. Motivation, energy, all that, that's much more important. Uh, absolutely. Right. And uh, the, the army of volunteers that, uh, that uh, Jeremy talks about is so important. One thing that's different that Jeremy highlighted in the last election, we raised money, but that money, a fair amount of that money went to fund a voter turnout effort yeah. Then in other states is funded by party organizations, which for various reasons, and, and God bless everybody who, who volunteers their time or, or is a lay leader of a local party organization, but in so many party organizations, they didn't have the resources that right. they need, even to give people material when they go door to door. Right. Uh, uh, Mr. Byrd, you talked about uh, the data operation that would be deployed not just during the presidential campaign, but in past campaigns. Somebody referred to that before we got up here as the Obama big data pixie dust. But as long as you sprinkle the Obama big data pixie dust over everything, uh, of good things happen. Is that the route to organization in this next election, that you're going to mine the data, identify the, these people, and that's going to be the basis? It's going to be a new form of organization as opposed to the old school, old style form? No. No. Um, big data is, I think, very important. And, and it's important for a couple of reasons. One is when you have a volunteer that's giving their time and they're going out on a Saturday morning and they're gonna go knock on doors, what you wanna do is put the most efficient and effective list in front of them, whether you're trying to register voters or persuade voters or do a combination of them. You wanna make sure that the list they have and the people they're talking to are gonna be the most effective use of their time. But if you just have big data and you just have uh, you know, a great list and you've done modeling and you know who's likely to support you, who's likely to be undecided, who's likely to support your opponent, and you don't have an organization to actually take that and do something with it, it's just big data. So it's got to be the organization to actually do something with it. And that means the organization is um, the community organization part of it, the volunteers who are going out there and doing the work. And in order you know, to, to get the, the, the kind of organization we need across the state, we have to invest in training. You know, if you ask big businesses what makes you successful, it's that they've invested in training and professional development of their, of their staff, and of the people that are engaged in their, in, their, in their company. We have to do the same thing in political organization. We have to invest in folks. 
And the people that we're training all across the state are going to be there for cycle after cycle. They can know how to enter the data. They know how to talk to people. But you got to do that, you know, investment in folks um, now. And then the other thing is, you know, when I went across the country uh, on the presidential campaign, every battleground state that I went into, I would talk to folks, ask them where they're from. And every single state, there was organizers from Texas. They were from all over Texas. And they were in battleground, other battleground states, learning what it feels like to win. And those folks are back. Those folks are here. And we're going to keep bringing more and more of them back. Right. And, and they're going to help bring a new generation that they're going to train. So it's, Big Data will be one piece of it. The organization will be another. We also have to be smart online. We have to have digital programs that recognize so many people we want to turn out. We're not going to reach them on the phone or at their doors. We need yeah. to reach them where they're going, which is online. So we have to have digital sophistication as well. Uh, Senator, this all sounds very expensive to me. Uh, what, I, what I'm hearing Mr. Bird talk about, it sounds expensive. It may not be as expensive because technology can make things cheaper. We all know that. But the reality is Democrats are going to need money. Money is a crucial element in all this. And again, over the years, there has not been enormous success in raising money for Democrats. Mr. White, you were funded quite well relative to other Democratic campaigns. Mr. Sanchez obviously was able to write an unlimited check or almost unlimited check for himself. But in both cases, it didn't matter. Greg Abbott right now, if I'm Ross, I think I'm right about this. Greg Abbott has right now more money in the bank of, than any candidate in Texas history at this point in an election cycle. $25 million that we know of. He will have literally unlimited resources to run this campaign. Anything he needs, he's going to get. Can Democrats truly hope to be competitive now or any time in the future in terms of fundraising? Democrats are going to be competitive. We know that Democrats invest. They invest nationally. Why? Because they want to invest in a winning team. And I think we're going to have that confluence of candidates, operational uh, strategies to be able to do that. It's Where, where's the money going to come from, in-state or out-of-state? I think it's a combination, combination of, both. of both. And it's a terrific combination of both. Look at just what Wendy Davis was able to do with the number of donors that were giving small amounts right. compared to General Abbott's campaign contribution, which is the majority of the money, is all folks that give that $100,000. Someone who gives 25 or 50, they're going to put that investment, they're going to come back and vote for that candidate. Right. We're, we're, I think we're always going to be, at least the first couple of cycles, at a disadvantage monetarily. We're going to be competitive. But how did the Republicans do it? They did it because they elected John Tower, and then they elected Clements, and then they did that. So I think we're going to have a breakthrough candidate in all this take, cycle. All it takes is one. All it takes is one, and you break it through. You show that you're successful. It's kind of like being in any major league sports. You get to the playoffs once, and they expect you, you're going to get to the playoffs the next time. Right. Democrats are at the playoffs. We're going to be there. So the psychology is, is Absolutely. as important as, it, as, it, as anything else. Uh, Mayor White, the Democrats considered you to be a big get when you ran. It, it is about, in the end, who runs. And for the previous couple of cycles, no disrespect to those candidates, it was, you know, at best, pretty good side dishes, but there were no entrees really running for office. You were the first entree in a while they were able to recruit. But of course, you had a problem, and that is when you looked down, there was nothing but air, right? One person does not make a ticket. So if, let's assume that Senator Davis is going to run for governor. Is Senator, I'm not going to ask her because she's not going to tell me. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> is Senator Van de Pugh going to run for lieutenant governor? Are there going to be other candidates on that? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
are there going to be other candidates on that ballot? I mean, you, you've been in a situation where you know what it's like to be the guy who is at the top and you, you have no cover from below. And so can, can one per, I mean, all the enthusiasm for Senator Davis notwithstanding, is one person really a ticket? Is one person really a comeback? Or do you need a whole field of fully fleshed out candidates? Well, for the good of the state, we need people uh, like the senator and others uh, of stature who step up and run for statewide office. These are important offices. Uh, you notice, and now it's not going to be like the way that Carl Rove did it, where he selected this person to do this and this person to do this and this person to do this on a Republican ticket so that it cre- could create an image or not threaten his other, another client of his. Uh, we're going to do it in our own way. We're, we're going to do it in our own way where people compete and, and it's going to be an open primary. But I think... Uh, these are important offices for the state of Texas. They're critically important. The office of lieutenant governor uh, is an important office in the state of Texas. We need people who have stature, who have experience, who can work with people on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And uh, so I haven't talked to the senator about it, but I think this is a, you know, I would encourage candidates to, to, to seek statewide office. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I, I will ask her directly. Uh, senator... Um, <laughs> That was kind of, I just gave you like a one-minute warning before we let a non-answer when I asked you. Um, uh, you know, what they say at the poker table in Las Vegas is you cannot win if you do not play. Uh, you have a competitive Republican primary. They're going to be beating the crap out of each other for the next couple of months. And whoever emerges, it will be through a very hard-fought process, either in the first round or the second round. And it's, you know, it, it could be the incumbent. It could not be the incumbent. Uh, you have a four-year term. You drew a lot for a four-year term. It's a free shot. Downside is if you run and you lose, you've spent your time during the campaign beating the stuffing out of the person who's your boss. So you end up on a committee that meets in Siberia twice a year, right? But there are worse things. Are you going to run straight away? Are you going to run for lieutenant governor? The worst thing that could happen is they could put me on a basket weaving committee or something. And uh, It's a very personal decision. Uh, and one that I am frankly looking at very, very carefully. Not ruling it out, not ruling it in. No, um, looking at the analytics, but uh, as you know, my family's had a really, really tough year. Right. Uh, we had a great legislative session and a wonderful celebration uh, as President Pro Tempore as governor for a day. And then tragically, we lost our infant grandson to SIDS. A few weeks later, um, we lost my dad, who was perfectly healthy in a horrific traffic accident. And then just two weeks ago, my mother-in-law. Uh, it, is, it is very difficult for my family to absorb so much loss and pain and be able to go with a campaign that is going to be brutal. Yep. I mean, and that's the, the difficulty of it. But I'm still looking at the analytics. Uh, about half of the family just says this would be wonderful for us. And... The other half is, is just still in so much pain. Um, it will be a family decision, but I am looking at it. And, you know, I want different leadership for this state so badly. Yeah. And it's not about winning elections. It really isn't. It's, it's the policies that can be changed. You know, if we don't fund significantly a water infrastructure, in 10, 15 years, we're going to be sucking dirt all across this state. If we don't address the major infrastructure and the leadership that we have had this last decade is about delay and it's about ignorance and it's about not understanding that we have serious problems. 
And to win elections, all they've done is mask them. Well, the bills are coming due. We have got to put that, and it's gonna take adults in the room to make those tough, critical decisions. I have six children and six grandchildren. This state needs the better leadership, not just because of my kids, but everybody's grandkids. And I don't see it, and that's what's gonna compel me to throw my hat in if that's my family is all. That, how, that's how, how, how soon? When, when, when will you tell us? Um, when will you tell Texas? What well, let's wait doing? until after Thursday. Uh, so, and I think we're going to get a great okay. announcement. Uh, call you Friday? <laughs> <laughs> call me, baby. <laughs> I have your digits. It's okay. I will call you, I will call you Friday. Mr. Bird, one, what I said to Mayor White, I'll say to you, one candidate does not make a ticket. So what do you do? How do you, how do you persuade me? You know, there are a lot of people who are waiting for an engraved invitation. There are a lot of people who say, I run only if I know I can win, or I'll run only if I know I don't have to give up my gig, which is why Senator Vandepute or a couple of other senators who may be looking at, an, at a statewide race are willing to entertain it in part because they say, well, there's, if I come back, at least I've got a place to land as opposed to giving up my seat. Many House members may be thinking it's either up or out in that case. How do you persuade people that this is a, a, a worthy thing to do, even if it ends badly? So I, I think a couple of things. One is... Um, when I first started talking to folks down here earlier in the year, and people would just dismiss 2014 sort of all together. And one of the things that people said, well, if you're a donor or a political you know, advisor, and somebody comes to you and asks, should I run statewide? Um, you have to be able to answer them and say, you know, there's an infrastructure to support you. Um, and there are other people that are taking on the courageous step. Yeah. And I think you're seeing both things happen in Texas, which will then, I think, encourage other folks you know, to, to fill out the, that statewide ticket. So I think that's one uh, you, you piece. You think something, because you know, back in March, Mr. Byrne, you said to the Tribune, to Ross, for a story that ran in the Times, you, gave, you said the following thing to him. Would you tell a friend today to run statewide? You were referring to as a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Would you tell a friend, today, a friend today to run statewide? Maybe not. It's like the old uh, drunk driving thing. Friends don't let friends run Democratic. Right? I mean, you know, what, you're, what you were suggesting was that the environment in Texas, this is back only as recently as March, may not be conducive to being able to tell a friend who sought to run Democratic this is a good time to do it. So what's changed? Well, if you look at it now and you look at some of the folks who are considering running, their friends are telling them uh, to run, uh, which is not what, what they were telling what, them. But what well, changed? Was it the filibuster? Well, it's a couple of things. I mean, one, obviously there's a huge amount of energy in the state uh, since then. Yes. Um, and I think what, what people saw both here in Texas and really across the country um, was a couple of things. One is there are incredible, incredible local candidates on the Democratic side in Texas sitting next to one of them. Um, and you're going to hear from another uh, you know, very soon. And there's, and there's many, many more across the, the state who are serving, who are public servants who are doing amazing things. The second thing they saw in that is the, the, the activist base across the state, the number of volunteers, the number of people that are willing to do you know, what it takes to make this state competitive. Um, the energy there is there. Um, but I think there's a couple of things. We have to do both the short term and make sure that we have an environment, the infrastructure, that people can look at their friends and say, you can do this, you should run. And the second thing we have to do is there's a reason that the Texas Rangers go to the playoffs all the time. The reason that, and there's a reason the St. Louis Cardinals go to the playoffs all the time. They go because they have a farm system that they invest in and they think long term. And we have to do the same thing here. We have to recruit people not just to run statewide this cycle. We have to recruit people to run for county offices, to run for local offices, so that they can then run exactly. for statewide in the next several cycles. Yes. 
All right, I'm going to uh, uh, suggest that people begin to line up with questions in the audience. I'm, I'm also going to ask our team in the back to give me a, 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 head, a heads up on the time when we begin to get short on this. But let me just ask one last question of the panel before we take questions, and that is, where are the issues that Democrats have the most opportunity on? Not the issues that you wish you had the most opportunity on. But the polls will show that in Texas, overwhelmingly, voters are at least split or agree to some degree or to a great degree with Republicans on a lot of the big issues that you may want to run. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for where is the fertile ground? Where, where are the issues, two or three issues, on which not you wish they were with you, but you can point to polls or give specific evidence that they are with you that you think are the basis for a successful campaign, top, middle, or bottom of the top, Senate. I think education is the top of the list. Uh, the investment in our students. Uh, I mean, it, it's got, I think it, it, it's, it's education. Part of it is healthcare, but there's a huge small business community out there. And what Democrats, I think, are the strongest on are those issues that affect middle class families. Small businesses, your neighbors, and neighborhoods, because what we find is that people love their neighborhoods, and they love their neighborhood schools. Yeah. So I would say those two things, I think we can capitalize a lot on small business, because let's face it, this administration, it's all been about that corporate cronyism and big, big, big business, and who's through that? You it sound like Devin Medina. Uh -huh. Well, and I'm going to talk. I think that there's folks on both sides that are, that are really at, at a point where they see that only the very few yeah. get the advantage. So this of may the be state. an opportunity to actually pick up some people from the other side who've gotten frustrated <coughs> with that aspect of. And, and Evan, I'll tell you, that on your premise, I, I got to tell you, we did a lot of polling. Yeah. And uh, most Texans, most Texans, agree with the positions of the Democrats in the legislature on most issues. And so this so what's, idea. So what's the deal? Then? Uh, now, I, won't, I, I will tell you that there are a lot of Texans who have disagreements with some issues of, with the national administration. Right. Uh, we saw that. The extent of the borrowing, the size of the stimulus that was done, yeah. the, the individual mandate, uh, and I could go down a list, where you saw that people had questions about some policies that were being pursued. I'm not saying one thing or another. I'm just telling you what. But on the state of Texas, right. people tend to agree with the positions that the Democrats take in the state legislature. All right, but let me ask you, before we take our first question, let me ask you about that. I seem to remember, Mayor, that there was a moment when the president was coming to Texas during the 2010 governor's race, and you yeah. suddenly had to be in Anchorage that day. Yeah. Would you advise Senator Davis to campaign with President Obama or to run screaming in the opposite direction if he offers? Well, first of all, I mean, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but uh, I agreed with somebody who was ahead of a local county party organization to be in a local parade. And I always kept campaign commitments. I mean, I, I talked to the president. I told people I talked to the president. Uh, it's not uh, so anyway. You did some, buy some bunch of, but but on, on this, I think that the important thing to do, and not to put distance from the president, but it is important for the voters of this state to know that they're voting for the governor of our state, not for the, not for the president. Right. And that's the and and 
Republicans will try to make it a vote on the president because they don't have a record to run on. Well, you know, every Republican candidate this year, whoever the Democratic nominee is, they're going to run against the president. Of course. It's been ever thus. Ma'am. Thank you, Evan. Am I on? You can use your outside voice. I can. I have a good outside voice. Janae Gonzalez. um, I live in Senator Vandepute's district, and I'm a former LVP staffer. And my question... Hi, boss. Hi. And, my question, and my question is, I think it's important, the statewide conversation that we're having and having good candidates, and I think it's important to find those folks to run local, you know, city council and county commissioner's court. But what about the House and the Senate? I mean, that's what scares me. And what's the strategy, Mr. Bird, when it comes to that? Let's say... You're about Texas House, Texas Senate. Exactly. So we're talking... So, we have Governor Davis and Governor Vandepute at the top of the ticket, and hopefully... You know, up there. But that's going to be a tough job for Governor Vandepute if the majority in the Senate are Republicans. Well, and the reality is the Democrats have not run candidates in so many House and Senate districts that they've written off in the, in the recent cycles that it's almost impossible mathematically for you to take back a majority, Senator. Well, and think about the perversion of the redistricting maps. Uh, that House, uh, I mean, it is still going on, but that is what has happened, is set that template to win future elections. And it was pretty evident through all the court cases that the defense that the Republicans had was that where they were not discriminating against Latinos or African Americans or minorities, they were discriminating against Democrats because that's how they could keep it's about the control. Didn't Democrats do the same thing when they ran the state though? They did. And guess what? When this state was Democrat, it was still conservative. How many current Republican leaders were actually Democrats. And so when folks give me that, well, Democrats did it, I'm going to tell you, the Latino community, African-American community, we always had to fight, whether this was a Democrat uh, administration or or, or Republican control. We've always had to fight those progressives to represent their communities, to get the opportunity to elect the candidate of their choice made no difference if it was Democrats or Republicans. We've always had to struggle. So should, should Democrats be running more House and Senate candidates in some of those districts that they've written off in the past? I think very, very competitively. I think they ought to. You get the right candidate with the motivation because there's a coalition of folks who are, you're right, angry. And those are women. Those are young folks. And I'm seeing more and more small business owners and also people that we call in Spanish de la tercera edad, you know, the third age, are senior citizens who understand that they have these great opportunities. They love this state, and they went to high school here. They got a great job. They had their families, and they are scared to death that their grandchildren are not going to have the type of opportunities because of the policies of the last 20 years. Sir. I'm Nick Lee with the Secular Coalition for Texas. Uh, my question is for Jeremy Byrd. We are victims of polarization. We have, we're stuck with labels. You're either a Democrat or Republican. You're uh, liberal or you're conservative. And as I think Evan's last question got to, these are not monolithic things. When I've done block walking, I've been given a list of, of uh, proven Democrats, and thereby bypassing any opportunity to reach out to Republicans. What will Battleground Texas do to reach out to the rational Republicans to... <laughs> To bring them into the fold. Well, you know you're going to need to turn people. We talked about that. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, and, and I think there's, there's kind of a, a false 
narrative that our, our, our sole focus is on registration and turnout. We believe there's three pillars. There's registration, there's turnout, and then there's persuasion work. So there are people that are independent, people that are Republicans uh, and frustrated with the Republican Party and some of their candidates. We've got to first figure out who those folks are. So we'll do some of the, the data analysis, some of the polling to figure out, okay, who are these folks? And make sure that everybody on the voter file, we know who's more, most likely to be a persuadable Republican. And then we're going to go talk to them every single way we possibly can. At the door, on the phone, through digital, through paid advertising, through mail. Every way we can to talk to them about the choice they have between the candidates that are coming up. Um, and that's how, you know, you just got to go out there and, and build that list. And then you have to have a volunteer base that's big enough to actually reach folks. And, and, and that's the scale we have to get to so that we can actually move. We know that when we talk to folks and present the facts and present the candidates, we can move them. We've got to be able to do it at the level that we do it in every single precinct across the state. Sir. Thank you all for being here. Governor White, uh, my name is Jim Hayes. I live here in Austin. Governor White, I, I think of you that way, and I want to just say thank you for running for office when you did. That was very important. Uh, Senator Vanipu, let me just say that you were stunning last summer. Uh, Mr. Byrd, thank you for being here, but here's my question. Thank you. Battle you can keep that up. Close to busting you. Yeah, hey, I saw you leaning forward. I was. Uh, Battleground Texas, we're glad you're here, but it's not the Democratic Party. It's a different organization altogether. And as we talk about addressing the House, addressing the Senate, and the lower ticket offices, my question to uh, all of you, but probably Senator Van de Putin, Mr. White, is what can we do to get a coordinated effort across the state so that everybody's on the same page and working together? Because quite frankly, I don't think we've seen that in the last 20 years. Is there anything that we can do besides count on Battleground Texas to carry all the Well, there was a coordinated campaign yeah. in 02. There was that so-called Dream Team ticket, and it didn't do any better than the uncoordinated campaign. Yeah, but can I... You know, there is sort of a little bit of a myth that the Democratic Party just has a few people in the back rooms making decisions. A lot of it, let's take here in Travis County. Travis County, you have a lot of people who are politically active, some people who are veterans have been at it for a long time. And people ought to insist, ought to insist uh, that organizers get along with each other and coordinate. It's not just about somebody in a back room uh, making decisions. You know, so I, I'd encourage people who are active in the campaigns and who go down to the party office, visit with Battleground Texas, to make sure that they understand that people are coordinating their efforts. Ma'am. My name is Martha Cottingham. I'm from Houston. I've been a volunteer for Democratic candidates in the Democratic Party for close to 20 years. First, I'd like to commend Mayor White on his 2010 campaign in Harris County. It was textbook. He reached out to voters. We captured the Obama vote, and he hit his numbers. He just didn't get as many as he needed statewide. My question is for Mr. Byrd. Yes. I have been around long enough to see Organizing for America roll into Houston, be active, do things, pull out and leave. Uh, Mayor White mentioned the lack of strength in Democratic County parties statewide. What are groups like Progress Texas, Battleground Texas, all those people, how will you 
help build the infrastructure right. that stays in Texas, lives in Texas, provides election judges, precinct chairs, voters are not enough. There has to be a system to support it. What, what, are, you, what are you doing at that ground level? Yep, so it's a great question to kind of get to the second, the other question I was just asked. So when you, um, when you go to, in my mind, when you go to a battleground state, Ohio, Florida, other places, there's, there's a couple of things in common. One, they have a strong party. Two, they have strong PACs and outside groups they have strong uh, progressive coalitions and good candidates and campaigns. And so we don't believe that Battleground Texas is the answer. We're going to be one player in the, the ecosystem of groups, including the party and the campaigns up and down the ticket. Um, what we believe we can uniquely do is as a, as a political action committee is help to build that volunteer base across the state and to train those folks and to bring back the talent on the staff level, all the things that I talked about before, that's going to help folks who run statewide, but it's also going to help at the local level. So that people, and our hope is that we are encouraging folks to run because we're helping build an infrastructure um, in the party and across the different campaigns. So we don't see it as separate. We see it as part of one ecosystem. And that's when we see true flourishing battleground states, they have that ecosystem in place, and we hope to be a part of that. Sir. Uh, good morning, y'all. Uh, I'm Nick Mitchell, a student at UT, and it seems like historically many of the Democrats' greatest victories have been when they've been able to align themselves with larger social movements, and the People's Filibuster this summer was a great example of that. So my question is, what can get Democrats do to uh, help foster and support political and social movements outside of simply electoral politics? Senator, I'll ask you that. We, we've seen so much change in the way that people communicate with each other with uh, the advent of social media. What happened at the Capitol and what happens worldwide, uh, if you remember the young lady uh, who started a movement about bank fees, and two weeks later a major national bank had to remove their proposal to increase bank fees, and it started with one person. We've seen that example. It has really changed the dynamic of how the information cycles work. And you can capture efforts that we haven't been able to capture before. Like-minded people in whatever arena that they are passionate about. It may be children's preventative health care. It may be the environment. It may be uh, safety on our highways. But they're all engaged because they love this state. The commonality now is between all of those groups is they're not getting results from the current administration. That's what's going to motivate people to, to continue to do the things that they are wanting to affect in that particular arena. But when they all join together and realize connecting the dots, the reason that this is not getting done is because we have a severe lack of leadership at the state level, then hopefully they will make that connect to try to affect that through the voting box. Thank you. We're only going to be able to take a couple more, and my apologies to the people who don't get to ask their questions, but we're going to need to move on here in a second. Ma'am? Good morning. My name is Krista Delvallo, and I relocated to Texas in 1998, and since then I've never been motivated, I'm sorry, to donate to statewide candidates or to volunteer for their campaigns. But I am now, and I feel like there are a, a good number of people that are now. But... It's such a foreign concept at this point that I don't even know who to give money to. Is it strategic to donate to a specific campaign, to Battleground Texas, to the Texas Democratic Party, to your local party? Who should we volunteer for? That's a very good and question. I, I, oh, let me go 
Oh, let me go talk to you. Oh, or yeah. should we diversify? I just don't even, I don't know for myself, and I don't know how to advocate with my friends. Senator Van Der Peet would like to. I'm going to go talk to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah. Absolutely. There are so many ways that you can, and if you don't know, it's, it's about our responsibility to make sure that you know how, whether it's at the very local level, uh, if it's a statewide, and how you give resources, both that, if you can, monetarily to help get out the word, to help do that infrastructure, but the most important is that precious <clears throat> gift of your time, and uh, I'll come talk to you right afterwards. Seriously. Um, I think I'm going to have to make this the last question, and I'm sorry for that. People have been waiting patiently. I apologize, but uh, um, I'm a part of the unruly mob. <laughs> Go ahead. And my first big. You seem um, pretty ruly to me right now. It kind of depends on the. My first big disappointment, heartbreak uh, politically, was the McGovern campaign. I'm a, little, I'm a little concerned we might see the same thing, but I really would like to ask and, and push you on this one issue. You say we need to get out there and run locally and go for it. I live in Donna Campbell and Paul Workman's districts. <laughs> we could not get any help last campaign. And we're not getting any help this time. We're, we're suggesting candidates. We're working hard. We cannot get any money. Now, how can that change if you really do want us to spread democratic representation? Okay, good last question. And anybody want to take it, you're welcome to take it. Mr. Uh, uh, go well, I'll start with this, too. Uh, you know... There is some this question, and, and maybe I'll just say the truth. There, money doesn't generally, in politics, come from above. Money comes from people who raise money. Mm -hmm. And so your advocacy for your community and other people here, look, I mean, uh, we need a large, small donor base in this state. That's good government, too, by the way. And so, you know, there's different ways. I won't do it how local party organizations raise money, but local party organizations, and, and there needs to be training and help, but I've seen some who do it well and some who do, don't do it as well. But ultimately, it means getting in touch with people who care about that particular area and ask them to contribute money. We've done that. We've worked very hard door-to-door. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Bird, you want a final word on this? Yeah, so we should talk because, um, you know, we, we've been around for nine months and we've got some places to expand to, but we care a lot about where you live for a couple of reasons. And I'll just share one, one quick story. Um, in, in Appalachian, Ohio in 2012, um, we had, there was nine counties right around uh, Appalachian, Ohio, which we knew we weren't going to win. Um, but we were going to lose if we didn't get to 32, 33, in some of those counties, 29% of the vote. The woman who ran those nine counties was from Austin, by the way. Um, and we did better in eight of those nine counties in 2012 than we did in 2008. We didn't win any of them. But we won the state because we didn't get 25% of the vote in those places. And there are, there are counties and places across the state where we have to do that. If we're going to win statewide, we have to not lose with 20% in some places. We just need to do a little bit better. And that is going to matter statewide. Every single person in this room, no matter where you live, if you live in Houston, we need to do even better with turnout. We need to do better in Dallas. So there's a whole 
um, you know, narrative here. We can't leave anywhere um, you know, uh, to, to just not campaign. And so we need to work with you better um, to make sure we do better in those counties and get out every single vote we possibly can. And that's how we add up across the state. I'll find you. Good. Thematically, <laughs> uh, thematically, I would say that's a perfect place to end this conversation. Excellent uh, uh, talk with these three great panelists. Great way to kick off the day. Please, again, hand for Jeremy Byrne, the teacher and the people. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you. 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 Thank you.